0: You're listening to the Vintage
1: Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's teaching.
1: Well, good morning, church. Can you just give him a real strong praise offering like you love him, like his spirit's in the room today? Amen. Grab your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 16, if you would. You can access that on the notes section of our app if you would like, or you can pull it up in your Bible app or however you want to access God's Word today. Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to get to in just a moment. Uh, in your seats today, you found uh, an Above and Beyond pledge card. Uh, today, we are officially launching a giving initiative, um, and our ask of you is to prayerfully consider whether or not you can go above and beyond financially financially through the remainder of this year in order to help us move forward towards uh, building our very first permanent facility on land that we've owned for a little over a year now. And our hope is that you would just prayerfully consider what you can do above and beyond, above and beyond what you had planned to give or already giving um, to help us move in that direction from now until the end of 2017. That maybe God's putting on your heart to give an extra $5 or $50 or $500 or $500,000, bless you, Um, But our hope is that you don't do that out of pressure or obligation or guilt, and if today's your first Sunday, you feel free to ignore that card unless the Lord just puts it on your heart. Like, we never ask anybody to give to our church financially out of any kind of obligation or pressure or guilt or mandate, but if God has put it on your heart to um, engage in this initiative as we move toward the end of the year to help us kind of generate some extra resources to move forward in that building. As you exit the room this morning, a couple of our uh, host team volunteers will be standing there with the baskets, and you will have an opportunity to drop that pledge card into the basket. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say about that pretty much for the rest of the morning. Because uh, this wrestling with the question of how to build this church has become more than i am been comfortable with. Over the last several months, in, in, in trying to make this happen, can I just confess to you that this whole initiative has, has stole my joy. And it's drowned out the real reason why we started this church. Because, you know, we didn't, we didn't start this church to build a building. It's never been about that. And how do you build a church has been more about the building for me and in my thoughts for far too long. And like, I'm tired of it. Because it has begun to drown out why we really started this church. See, we didn't start this church to build a building. We didn't start this church to have a big church. We didn't start this church but for any other reason but because God had inspired us by what we had seen in Scripture. And we believe what we've seen, what we've seen in Scripture is still possible. We name this church Vintage Church very intentionally, and if you've ever heard the reason why behind that, it's because in 2006, after growing up in the church, I've been in the church my entire life. I mean, every every Sunday, pretty much, since the day that, that somebody smacked my bare-necked booty in the uh, coming out of the delivery room, like, I have been in church, but what I began to do in 2006 is read this book of Acts, and if you don't know the book of Acts, Jesus has ascended to heaven after starting this thing, and The church was born, and the book of Acts is the record of how God's church formed and grew and began in its first days, months, and years. And I'd seen something in that book that I'd never experienced firsthand. And I wanted it. I desired it. And our hope was to take that formula, that what we saw in the book of Acts, and and somehow bring it back to life. And that that would be how we would build the church. And God has reminded me that over the last week or so, that we can't lose sight of why we're really here. Why, almost eight years ago, or a little over eight years ago, we launched this thing called Venice Church. And this week, He took me back into Acts 16. And if you don't know, let me set the stage for you. Acts 16 is where the, the church in Philippi is birthed. You're familiar with the book of Philippians, the, old te- the New Testament letter that Paul wrote to a church. Well, that's actually to a church plant. It's to a church that he begun as he went through his missionary journeys. And he went from town to town, taking the gospel of Jesus into these cities and into the lives of these people. And Philippians is just not some book that was written to some random group of people. It was to a church that was close to Paul's heart. And in Acts chapter 16, we get to see it born. And the way the church in Philippi was born is the way I hope... That our church is always built because it was built one person at a time. One story of life change at a time. One conversion, one moment at a time where the gospel was preached simply and authentically. And the gospel of Jesus just begun to change life after life after life. Just Acts chapter 16, dive in there with me. Acts chapter 16, pick it with verse 13. Says on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to the to respond to Paul's message, and there the roots of the church at Philippi begin. Now Paul's just walking around one day looking for a place to pray and he stumbles upon this little small group meeting of women and he engages a woman named Lydia there who based on where she was from, she was an Asian lady and she would have been probably pretty wealthy. She was in the fashion industry and the Bible clearly says that she was dealing with purple cloth which was the most difficult color and most expensive color of cloth to produce. So she would have been a well-to-do, strong businesswoman. Paul engages her with a conversation. She puts her hope in Jesus and the church is beginning to be born. But then they continue Let's drop down to verse 16. Acts 16:16. 16, 16. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. So Paul and his crew are going around continuing just to anybody they can engage, anybody they can encounter, just telling them about Jesus, preaching the gospel with every conversation the church is being born. And here's this this teenage demon-possessed girl who's saying, Hey, these guys are going around telling people how to get saved. And then in verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. Sometimes a a ministry can be annoying because people can too. Amen. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. And with that one declaration over her life, her life was changed. And the church was continuing to grow. This made the owners of this slave girl who were benefiting from her situation very angry at Paul and his guys. So much so they made sure that they were arrested and thrown into prison. And that's where we find them next. They're in prison for for calling a demon out of a girl and calling her to Jesus. But it says in verse 25, The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their feet, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. A the church had just been born. I can imagine that first meeting. They go into this house, and now this is a newly formed church, a new body of believers. And you've got this Asian businesswoman, wealthy, smart, intelligent, hard worker. You've got this teenage girl that's been a slave, and her life is completely now turned upside down, and she's got to figure out what she'll do next. And you've got a blue collar jailer. And they're all under one roof. And the only thing they have in common is Jesus. That's the church. That's the church. See, it was stories like that that inspired me to, to come to uproot my family and go out on a limb and try to begin something called vintage. You don't build a church with money, although it helps. You don't build a church with buildings or cool lights. You build a church one life at a time. See, the way that they built the church in the, in the New Testament was lives were changed. The gospel was preached. The message of Jesus was told as they went about their daily lives and as they encountered person after person. How do you build a church? It begins by lives being changed. And when lives are changed, strangers can become family. People from all walks of life, all levels of education, all places on the economic scale, different nationalities, upbringings, traditions, But when lives are changed by the gospel, strangers become family and churches are born. And I was reminded that that's why we came to start this church. And I believe firmly that the way God built the church in the New Testament is the way he will continue to build the church now. And so you might look at this and think, you know, does that still happen? Does God still rescue people like that from, from crazy circumstances and in crazy ways? Can, can God still change lives like that? And can we still see how we will continue to change the world, how we will continue to move forward as a church? as one life at a time. One story at a time. And I believe that God just wants to continue to use this church and the lives of people in this community and leverage the influence it has to bring people to Jesus, help them find family, and experience something beautiful. And I have a good reminder of that today that I want to show you. That God's still writing stories and using this church to do it. And this serves as the greatest example of why we're here and why what we do is so important. Turn your attention to the screens.
0: Just start going, right? fourth grade is when my attitude started to change. And I started to become uh, a problem child, I guess is what you could call it. It was kind of me against the world and I don't know where that attitude came from. I remember in sixth grade um, smoking weed for the first time and had my first drink in sixth grade as well and just remember the feeling of of feeling different and, and not really caring about anything where I felt like I could just be myself at that point. I had a uh an a sports related injury where I had to have surgery um in in the summer going into 7th grade. I remember waking up out of surgery and and remembering how good the feeling felt being 13 uh or 12 manipulating my parents into giving me more pills um into, into getting high, because it was an easy way for me to escape and, and milking the pain that wasn't even there. Um, and it was the first time, I guess, that uh, everything felt normal to me. Soon after getting off of them. I started, uh, you know, trying to look for other ones in the house. I would go to friends' houses and be hanging out with them, and I would try to go look through their their parents' you know bathrooms to see if I could find pills. And I, I'll never forget just um, as the as I started getting older and having a little bit more control of the medication, uh, the warmth I would feel come over my body, and it would be like everything just disappeared when I took these pills. It got to the point going into my you know, freshman year of high school that I didn't know how to act or be around people unless I was on some kind of substance. I got into cocaine, drinking, meth. I found that if I drank with a lot of these substances, uh, I thought I was having a better time. In reality, what happened was I was becoming more and more violent. Um, I would go to parties on the weekend and I was constantly getting into fights, doing stupid things that I definitely wouldn't do in my right mind. I got arrested my freshman year for underage drinking. I got arrested again my sophomore year. Felt like uh, I wasn't punished very much, and it was again, my parents chalked it up to being a kid. And this is where I really started to feel that I, I could do what I wanted. I started to realize that my friendships were dissolving, um, which is really tough now to think about, but I lost a lot of friends for my actions in, in high school. and. I um, got to a point where I was kind of the guy people didn't want around on the weekends. My girlfriend was going to, uh, to church and, and she was in uh, cotillion and started kind of listening and learning about things and I just didn't feel like it, w- it was much for me and uh, I was way too rebellious to be there. That was pretty much the extent of my church uh, you know, up until that point in my life. Um, And that continued, and I didn't go to church. Um, You know, I didn't get involved in activities. I wasn't involved in the community. You know, I decided when I was going to college, uh, I was gonna go to the University of Arizona. It was uh, two hours away from my parents' house in Scottsdale. Um, I had a chance to go down there and make new friends. I had strained a lot of relationships I had in high school with with my drug use and my drinking, and for me, I felt like a new start and a fresh beginning. Um, drugs only got more um, uh, vicious, I guess is the word I would use. Um, you know, went from then smoking marijuana at sixth grade to now college, where I'm. You know, snorting cocaine to go to class in the morning, drinking to go to bed at night. To me, it was just normal. And it got to the point in my sophomore year where my my frat had to sit down with me and tell me that um, I was out of control. And that was a huge wake-up call for me. They got my parents involved and uh, I went to, uh, you know, an inpatient rehab facility the entire second semester of my sophomore year. I was recommended for aftercare uh, in Tampa, Florida, where I was scheduled to do another 60 days at a transition facility where I kind of learned how to live by myself, attend meetings and those types of things, and I would lie to my parents and tell them how horrible it was and I could be doing better at home. Uh, And within probably 20 days, I convinced my dad to fly me back home from Tampa and let me go back to school. And in hindsight, it was the worst decision I ever made because now I go back. I'm not enrolled for second semester, but I'm living um, in my apartment. The 110 days I had clean time at that point were probably the longest uh, amount of days I'd had together clean since probably fifth or sixth grade but it was uh, a physical sober. My mind was never sober. My, that junior year, I remember one day um, partying all weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we'd been partying, drinking all day, coke to stay up at night, and then drinking, and I was in a really bad place. And by Sunday, when I woke up, I realized I had an accounting test on Monday. I remember waking up and I, I took some Adderall, studied for the day, fell back asleep around 8 o'clock, uh, slept for another hour or two, woke back up um, and was gonna go to the library and pull an all-nighter. I, I took another Adderall, got in my car, and uh, that's when my life completely changed. I got in a car accident. <clears throat> And um, I hit somebody. I stopped right away, and I knew it was a bad accident. And uh, I remember calling 911. I remember trying to help them. And then I just remember kind of collapsing. the police came i i watched as they worked on this person and um i didn't know what was going on i wasn't thinking that i had taken that adderall that i had been up on cocaine the night before i fully cooperated with the police but i'll never forget just sitting there on the curb while they're trying to give me all these tests and i'm watching them work on this this girl I remember them giving me, you know, sobriety tests and I, I I, was more worried about the girl and I wasn't worried about me because I didn't in my mind think there was anything wrong or I was high and I ended up failing the sobriety test um, when the cops uh, looked into my eyes. They placed me under arrest. I remember being driven to the police station and it almost, and this is so horrible to say and it's, I feel selfish saying it, but it was almost like I, I was more... I cared more at that point what was gonna happen to me than what else was happening in the situation and the overall picture. And I remember going in the back of the police car and the cops asking me all kinds of, the cop that was driving asking me all kinds of questions and I kind of wasn't answering them just because uh, I wasn't a fan of authority. And he finally turned around and he said, you know, that girl's got a serious injury. And that was when everything kind of hit me uh, that I didn't know what was gonna happen as I was released uh that night around 3 thirty in the morning, I was waiting to get picked up outside and one of one of the cops standing there told me that uh, she had a brain stem injury he he basically told me that that uh you know she uh would be on life support for the rest of her life as we were waiting to see what happened, I continued college and I continued going to school and and doing everything and just trying to put it out of my mind and now it was, it was worse than ever and this is how sick it was for me, my addiction is that I was getting high and driving still. I graduated from college, moved back to Scottsdale, got a full time job. The year gone by and nothing, having haven't had heard anything, I, I kind of just I didn't think anything was going to come out of it until one day I got a phone call from my dad and I'll never forget the phone call and I was at work and my dad said, Matt, your attorney just called me and you've been charged with manslaughter. I went and turned myself in the next day I remember going and sitting in the intake room in jail and all these people are getting processed and they're coming out and they're handing them orange jumpsuits or orange clothing and sending them to you know 2a or 2b uh 3a and and i'm just sitting there all by myself and i've been there since the morning and i'm in this giant pit and i'm trying to play it cool and i'm trying not to show fear and and I'm, i'm kind of having a cocky attitude I just won't forget though, everyone going and it came down to me and one other guy. They hand us these red jumpsuits and I, I remember asking, you know, why, is it, why are we in red and everyone that's gone is in orange. Um, and they told me they were placing me in maximum custody because of my charge. I was taken to the maximum custody, you know, floor where there were cells. It wasn't an open area. Um, and 90% of people that were being held up there were held for murder and i'll never forget just just talking to people and hearing their stories and it 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 was um it was like looking at evil and some of these people didn't care i went to court the next day after that night it was the hardest night of my life i thought um and at court the judge uh denied bond i was locked up for for nine months and seven days in jail and when you're locked up in jail your fate's unknown I went to trial and for some reason uh, God was looking over me and that morning they called me in and they said we're offering you a plea deal of uh, two years or two and a half years I think it was and I could be out in two uh, with good behavior I I signed it I needed to go to prison Prison was the first time I was introduced to heroin, and that is the downfall for me. There was something about it that I fell in love with the first time I stuck a needle in my arm. It's so disgusting to think about. I saw people get killed in prison. I saw, you know, people get stabbed in prison. There was things I was involved in, like uh, those violent type situations that you have no choice to to be involved in when you're in prison. I had assaulted somebody and I I was put in the hole for three months and the whole is you a cell a bunk and that's it and the Bible and give you the Bible no other books but the Bible and I started reading the Bible and uh, it was the first time I think I really read the Bible and uh, I read it cover to cover multiple times I was in a cell 23 and a half hours a day, showers uh, three times a week with me and the Bible. And I remember getting down on my knees and praying to God, if you let me out of this situation, and you get me out of this situation, and I get out of here, you know, I'll never do anything bad again and my life will change. The last six months I was in prison, I was sober. I got out, I got a job, I met somebody uh that was a client of my dad's who i I really got along with and he gave me an opportunity uh to go work for him within six months i had worked my way up to their director of operations and i look at it now and i basically say i was uh, a drug addict and then i became a work addict i didn't know what to do with my free time and i didn't know how to do anything else but be an addict I've been using since I was 12 drinking I've been in prison I've been in jail um, I've killed somebody in a car accident and I'm still getting high and still getting drunk I considered myself to be a lost cause I, I got I cleaned myself up again my wife currently we're dating though at this point and she doesn't know about my my history with drugs. Started my company and, and she was my business partner when we started it actually and we both were doing really, really well. I'd been visiting, you know, two weeks here, two weeks in Arizona. I took the leap to move out here. But I was so haunted by my past. And and um I was somehow introduced to pills again in North Carolina. In reality, I'd never dealt with my issues, and now I'm back to square one, hiding it from her, lying to her. Spending ridiculous amounts of money and, and you know just spitting myself in a web of lies and uh my wife's always gone to church and um you know, so I started going to church with her, and ashamed to say but I was going to church high um you know it was one of those things where I went to church to appease her not not for myself, and I went to church to uh make her smile, hope that hour was up quick, and then go grab lunch. All came crashing to an end um, when we, uh, we were taking a trip to the beach for a week. I had went in that morning and, and tried to buy a couple thousand dollars worth of heroin. Um, and I was robbed at gunpoint. And um, day two, I was sick as a dog. The entire week, I laid on the bathroom floor, basically. And on, like, day four, my wife, <laughs> she knew something was up, man. She saw my cell phone sitting there, and, and she went through it. And she saw a text message back and forth between me and my drug dealer and how I'd gotten robbed. And, you know, I, I went and got help uh, and and started seeing um, a therapist. and. That therapist wasn't just for my drug addiction, but it was for my past. And and it was finally time to address issues that I had put so far down in my soul. And she was done, I think. And um, I remember going and getting a hotel room uh, in Greensboro. And I remember booking a flight to Arizona my dad sat me down and talked to me and he let me know uh, in, in the best way he can that I'm affecting my wife's life and I'm affecting her kids' lives and I wasn't fair what I was doing to them and it was either time uh, to grow up or, 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 or you know go live my life how I wanted to and I remember begging Amy like this is it I'm done I'm done and I had been put in touch uh, with a gentleman at church named Brad and brad had a testimonial video from six years ago where he talked about his addiction to pills and and uh brad i started talking and he understood me and it was weird to talk to someone and tell them things i've done and he was like yep i've done that yep i've done that and it made me realize that i'm not out there alone and i'm not the only one And through Brad, I started, you know, coming to church for me. And I still didn't know what church was gonna do for me. And I came for, for, I mean, at this point, I'd been going to Vintage two and a half years, and um, the hole was was still there. And it was because I wasn't turning myself over to God. Um, I wasn't you know, completely and utterly giving my life over to him to follow in his path. I, uh, going back to when I was a kid, uh, I didn't respect authority. And he's the highest authority, you know, out there. And uh, I I was scared. That's, That's probably the best way to put it, is that I was scared to turn my life over to him. And I was coming to church and I was doing a lot better and I was sober. And, there, you know, the hole was still there, but I was meeting people, and I can't tell you the last time I had a friend at this point in my life because I ruined all my friendships, and, and I've been doing that since high school. And so I start meeting people, and, and they don't care that I'm covered in tattoos and, um, you know, what, what I look like or what I've done in the past. And it was a wake-up call for me that, you know, these people care about me for me. And I'm sober and they, there's people that want to hang out with me. Like, it was a puzzle that I couldn't piece together because it had never happened in my life. And the turning point for me was one day I was sitting in church and Pastor Matt started talking about uh, society and how you can always tell what's popular by what society gets upset about. I remember I couldn't talk after church because I was so dumbfounded by what I just felt. And it wasn't heard, but felt. And I, I, I think I text messaged Pastor Matt, and I was like, I need to meet with you ASAP. And I went and met with him the next day, and I said, I don't know what happened, um, but, but something changed yesterday, and I felt something. And, and, and he asked me, you know, or he said to me, when, when you do drugs, you're gonna get to a point, potentially, where you're not hurting anyone anymore because there's no one else to hurt. They've all given up on you. And the one person that you're still gonna be hurting is God. You know, it was the most sad I ever felt when I realized that God had, 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 looking back, saved me. Saved my life. Saved me from so many times I should have been dead. From, you know, my car accident. I maybe should have been in prison for 21 years to prison. When there was riots and you know people were getting stabbed and you're having to defend yourself and watching people get killed and and from so many times I've done you know I've overdosed and and somehow I come back out of it waking up on the floor of my office and and not getting arrested when I'm on probation for still using and and the only person I'm continually hurting is him and it just got to the point where. I didn't want to hurt him anymore. I am sober. I don't not think about drugs. Um, drugs is like a uh, an ex-girlfriend that you love, but you know the relationship doesn't work, <laughs> I guess is the way to put it. And, and I can't be with drugs anymore. And um, I wouldn't be where I am w- without Vintage Church, um, without Pastor Matt. Pastor Lyle, um, you know, meeting people like Dustin and Christian and and Brad and and Matt Williams. And those people have changed my life and they accept me for who I am. And um, that hole that I've had in my heart for 28 years was full. And it was the first time I felt complete. And Pastor Matt was, you know, reminding me that you know this happens, and you get on, you get on that pink cloud. But just remember, there's good seasons, there's bad seasons, and um, and I try to look at the step forward. Um, I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I uh, was a bad person, and um, and I did a lot of bad things. And now I am married. I have two wonderful children. I have two companies, um, I have friends, um, I have relationships I never thought I would have, um, and, and most importantly, uh, I have God, and if everything ended for me today, um, I know where I'm going and, and that's up to, to heaven and, and to be in his holy kingdom with him. And um, But God's number one now, and um, you know, without him, I wouldn't be here.
1: That's why what we do is so important. That's how you build a church. One surrendered life at a time. Not one brick at a time or one chair at a time, but one life that we're able to reach into and motivate with the gospel and the love of God by offering them a safe, loving, powerful place to experience who God is. So today is not about a pledge card, or when and how we get into a building. Today's about a chance for you, if you're here, and you don't know what it means to know Jesus, to surrender your life, to give it all to Him because He gave it all for you. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to worship today. And maybe you're here today and something's wrong, just a chord has been struck in your heart. And today's a day that you need to come and with courage, lay it all down and give it to Him. See, if we walk away from this place today and another life has changed, then we've done what we came here to do. So as we worship and as we sing, if you feel led to come and kneel around this altar, I'm going to invite you to do that. But I'm going to pray and we're going to worship and we're going to let God do work. Father, right now in this moment, I pray for every life that can hear me right now in this room. For people that still feel the emptiness that Matt once felt. God, I pray that you'd help them understand today they can have that filled. And God, may people surrender to you, fall at your feet, and allow you to work in their lives today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.